As we've been going through, it's interesting to me because I have two older brothers at Marines, and, and one was recon, and he talked me out of joining the military. And so I have that kind of background in my, my life, and so I, I'm sure many of you are connected to someone in the military. But this is an important day, and these are important moments, and we have important celebrations. And it's, it's uh, a tragedy that sometimes we overlook these things and just focus on a three-day weekend, and we miss the fact of the importance of what has been paid and what we have today. And so as we look at James, we're going to look into that issue of how are we living out the freedom we've been given. Uh, just to recap, if you missed any of the series, you can go to our website, you can go to YouTube or Facebook, it's all there for you to see. Uh, we started with the, the concept of considering it pure joy, and that everything you go through to consider it pure joy. And I think about um, uh, Normandy and all these battles, these great battles in World War I and World War II, where, where those men had to go into battle knowing that there was a good chance that they weren't going to make it out alive. And yet in that, recognizing that they were paying for something that, that they could never truly understand the benefit that it would bring to other people. And so for us in our lives, comparatively, it's not even close, right? That, that the challenges we have in our life, the challenges that we go through, we should consider it pure joy that God can use the messes of our life. He can use the greatest challenges in our life for his glory and for his purposes. And so for us to consider everything in our life a positive because God can use it in a positive way. And that has, that's a renewing of our mind. That's changing our, our, our selfish perspective to a selfless perspective. And then we went from there and we said, uh, live what you learn. Live what you learn. Um, God isn't looking for smarter Christians. He's looking for more obedient Christians. He wants us to be following up with the learning. If we learn a bunch of great things and don't do it, then we're actually doubly cursed because we're not living the truth. And so we're called to live the things we learn. We also learned that everyone matters. Everyone matters. And so every person that you're going to interact with in your life matters, that they're made in the image of God and they're to be valued and to be pointed to Christ. Uh, we learn next that faith is more than knowledge. Faith is more than knowing it. Even the, we're told Satan knows it and the demonic forces know it. It's not about knowing it. It's much more than that. It's a life. Uh, it's faith. It's belief. And then love God with your words. Love God with your words. Um, this is a challenge because uh, what we say in public and what we say in private may be uh, very different. And uh, we're called to love God with our words at all times. And so our words stream from our heart. And to love God with all of our heart is to love God with our words. We're to love God with our thoughts. Do your thoughts align with your love for God? Are your thoughts on things above? Are your thoughts on things that are pure and holy and just and righteous? Um, that's what we're called to. We're called to have a love for God even with our thoughts. And then last week with the graduation Sunday, and we're excited for our graduates, trusting God with your future, trusting God with our future, putting our uh, future in his hands, knowing that he has good in store for us, that um, no matter what happens in this temporary life that's but a vapor, our eternity has been set free, and we are freed. And that leads to today, uh, live a life worthy of the sacrifice. Live a life worthy of the sacrifice. I think about, as I think about this idea of freedom in Christ, we have freedom in the United States um, that allows us to do certain things. Uh, the freedom we have in Christ, sometimes people uh, misunderstand it and they think, well, it's freedom to sin. But in actuality, it is freedom from sin. 
That the freedom that we receive when we receive Christ as our Savior isn't now a license to sin. It's actually now the ability to truly live a holy life. To truly live the life God intended me to live. Intended you to live. The purpose you were created and put on this planet can only truly be established when you receive that freedom in Christ. And so my question this morning is, how are we living out our freedom? Are we taking advantage of the fact that we are free people? And this morning, uh, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me offer you this as an amazing truth. You can be free today. You can be free from your sin. You can be free in Christ. You can be free from the fear of death. You can be free from the fear of the messiness of this life. You can have true faith in Christ that gives hope for eternity. And not just hope for eternity, it gives purpose and meaning for today. And how are we living that out? How are we living out the freedoms we have right now? One of the privileges I have as a pastor is I get to be there at life's big events for most people. I get to be there usually for the birth um, and then a dedication. I get to be there at the wedding, one of the biggest moments in anyone's life. And then I also get to be there at a funeral. And a funeral is the time when you learn about someone. You learn about their life. You learn who they were, who they impacted, what their life meant. And as, I, as I've been a part of many funerals, I always consider what will it be at the end? What will be remembered? What is remembered of you and me? That really is uh, the revelation of how we've lived out our freedom in Christ. And I don't want to live this whole life and waste it. I don't want to waste the freedom that so many have sacrificed for me to have. And I'm sure you're here this morning saying, I don't want to waste the freedom that I've been given. I don't want to waste it. Uh, it reminds me of a story, what we're not to do. It reminds me of a pastor who shared this story with me that um, he was doing a funeral and the woman, uh, her husband had passed away. And so she called the newspaper up to put something in the newspaper in the obituary for him. And so when she called, she said, I need to put my husband's uh, death in the obituary section of the paper. And, and the gentleman says, all right, uh, give me the information. She says, yes, John Smith died, if you could put that in the obituary. And he said, all you want me to put is John Smith died? And she says, yes, that's all I want you to put in the obituary. And he says, well, I'm sorry, man, but we have a word minimum. You have to put more words in. Um, what are you going to put in? And she pauses. And she thinks. And she says, okay. Put in, John Smith died, pickup truck for sale. <laughs> When you live a life, when you live a life that at the end of it, someone can't think of anything to say about you. What a tragedy. And listen, this is so important, and this is what kind of hit me when I was working on this message. The tragedy isn't just that you wasted your life. The tragedy is, the tragedy is that you wasted the sacrifice of someone else's life. The tragedy when we waste our lives, when we waste our minutes and our hours and our days and our years, when we waste them on ourselves and on sin and on things that have no eternal value, we're not wasting just our own lives. We are wasting the sacrifice of others who allowed us to have the lives that we have. And so I know something stirs within every single one of us. That we want our lives to have value. We want to validate the fact that someone sacrificed for us. 
And I believe that's what James is really getting into as he shares in in James chapter 4. What are we to be doing with these lives that we have? What are we not to be doing and what are we to be doing so that we don't misuse or, or undervalue the freedom that we've been given? And so before we go to God's word, let's precede it with prayer and ask him to help us to see spiritually and to understand. Father God, you are worthy of these moments. You are worthy of life. And Lord, we know that you love us and you are holy and you are just and you are righteous and you are king. And uh, Lord, we know that you are returning. And Lord, all that is wrong will be set right. The judgment will be true and just. But Lord, right now we ask your will to be done. We ask your thoughts to be our thoughts. We ask you to fill us with understanding. Fill us with what we need to live lives worthy of your sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you would stir within us a desire to take every minute and submit it to you and to love you with every ounce of everything that we have. Lord, help us not to waste what's been given to us, what is set before us. Lord, speak to us in a new way. Inspire us and challenge us. Grow us in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn over to James chapter 4, and I say this every Sunday, and I think it's important, the context matters. We need to know who's writing to whom and what is the purpose. And here we see James, the brother of Jesus, is authoring this to a certain group of people that had been scattered from Jerusalem, and they were the church. They were established on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they had been scattered, and it was a difficult time to be a Christian. Uh, When Christianity started, almost every major power wanted to eliminate it. Almost every major group wanted to see it uh, disappear. And so for James and for these people, it wasn't easy to claim the gospel. It wasn't easy to follow Christ in his time. And James had to persevere. He had to persevere in a difficult situation. And yet we see him and we see also Christ's disciples that all of them, after they receive Christ as Lord and after they see him resurrected, they all live lives that are completely sold out to Jesus. Um, All of the disciples are martyred because of their love and devotion to Christ, that they are so committed to the missions of Christ that they would sacrifice their very lives for it because there was a fervency and there was a strength in their belief. And the same thing is true with James. James was committed to the mission of sharing the gospel and establishing this church and making disciples. And so when James writes this, he's writing to to Christians, to to those that were under his care, those that God had put as his, uh, his flock that he was to tender. He's been given... Inspiration from the Holy Spirit very directly to deal with some of the issues of those that he's shepherding. And he's dealing with this issue of how they're spending their days, how they're spending their lives. What are they doing with what they've been given? And so that's where we begin in James chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so James is bringing up this this 
reality in all of us that we have a battle going on within us. We have a battle that's going on on the outside of us. And uh, if you have any concern about this, if you have any question about this, just look at Twitter, just look at the internet, and you're going to see there's a lot of unhappy people that want to fight with words on a constant basis. There are people, I believe, that wake up in the morning excited about arguing and belittling others on the internet. And I think it is a horrible thing. But it demonstrates to us that sin is real. It demonstrates to us that in all of us, there is a battle. In all of us, there is a war that is waged. And that our flesh wants to fight our spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you, if you're a follower and believer in Christ, wants to have dominion over your thoughts, over your words, over your actions. And your sinful nature fights that. And it fights it and fights it and fights it. And because of this battle that is waging within us, it then falls out into our relationships. And there are people in your lives, I don't want you to share their names this morning, but if I said their names, you'd say, ah, I don't like thinking about them. You are at war, I guarantee you, in your mind with at least one person. We all are. Doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we don't care. It just means the reality of sin is, is that there are people that rub us the wrong way. And if we have this conflict within us, it flows out into our relationships around us. And he says, look, why do you guys fight so much? Why are you in such a battle? Is it not because within you, you want something and you're not getting it? What is it that they want so badly? What is it that we want so badly? I believe what he's referring to is control. I want them to be the way I want them to be. I want it to be the way I want it to be. And when it is not, then there will be war. And he's saying, this is not how it is to be for those who are followers of Christ. If you want to redeem your life, if you want to be worthy of the sacrifice, if you want to live a life completely committed to Christ, you've got to confront the issue of the war that wages within you. You've got to be willing to be honest. Who is he writing to here? Is he writing to the Romans? Is he writing to the Jews? No, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers of his time, and he's saying, look, this this isn't a struggle for all the lost people. This is a struggle for us. This is a struggle that happens within the church. That we fight each other and we battle for control and we battle for things. And unfortunately, that's because we're coming from a place of trying to have it the way we want it instead of saying, how does God want it? What does he want? What does God want in this relationship? What does he want in this place? What does he want to do? And when we ask God to do things for us, he doesn't do it because our motives are so selfish. And if God did what we wanted him to do when we were asking him out of a selfish place, that would go against God's very nature. Because God is holy. God is just. He is righteous. He doesn't want to empower us in selfishness. He doesn't want to empower us in sin. He wants us to be set free from those thoughts, set free from that anger, set free from some of those things that hold us down and and tie us down. And so we have to recognize there's a war. There's a war in our flesh. And we're told that that war is actually going to battle until the end. I've told you before, there was, a, there was a gentleman, he was 100 years old, and his grandson came to him and said, Grandpa, when do you stop being tempted by sin? And he said, I'm not old enough, I don't know yet. Right? Because it's our life. Our life is a battle. It's a war that is waging. 
And there's a real enemy both within us and outside of us that we cannot see. And it impacts every relationship. It impacts decisions. It impacts our lives. And James is saying we cannot overlook this. We cannot sweep this under the rug. We cannot pretend like this doesn't exist. We need to deal with this. He continues on. And, you know, this is not like... um. They have sermons now that are feel-good sermons. This is not a feel-good sermon from James. He says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friends with the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that when Scripture says, that Scripture says without reason, that he is jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace, that is why... Uh, that is why God says in Scripture, God opposes the proud, but shows his favor to the humble. Now, we can read that from the surface and misunderstand what James is saying. Is James saying there, don't be friends with anybody in the world, just, be, just avoid them, pretend like they don't exist? No, that's not what he's saying. What James is saying here is, is the world has a certain way of looking at things. The world has a perspective. A world has a point of view. And the world's point of view is the opposite of God's. The world's point of view, how it perceives reality, what it thinks about, what is important, what it values, is different to the extent that it is the opposite of God's. And if you have that type of friendship where you have the same view of the world as the world has, then you cannot also then have the view of the world that God has. We cannot live for God's pleasure... We, can't, we can live for God's pleasure or our own pleasure, but we cannot live for both. The world, the world would say to you today, here are the things you don't have that you should, you should pursue. The world would say, here's how you're to treat other people. The world would say, here's how you're to invest your money. Here's how you're to spend your time. Here's how you're to treat other people. And the central point of all of that is you. What's best for you? What do you get out of it? What are you going to have when it's all done? And so who's the center? Self. God says if you are at the center of yourself, you're at war with me because that's where I belong. When I created you, when I formed you in your mother's womb, when I established your existence, I placed myself to be at the throne of your life. And as long as you sit in it, as long as you sit in that throne, we are at war. Because that is my property. That is what belongs to me. And James is trying to be very clear because look what he says. He says in it, he says, think of the scripture that says he is jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to what dwell in us. We talk about being twice born, that your spirit is alive in Christ, that there's an emptiness that Christ fills, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and that is his home, that is his place, that is where he deserves to be, that's where he belongs to be. And as long as you sit there, he cannot sit there. And he says, you do not want to be at war with God. But you're going to have to be honest with yourself. You're going to have to reflect. He uses the word adultery here. He says, you adulterous people. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the outside world. He's talking to the church. He says, you adulterous people. 
You're in an intimate relationship with someone you're not supposed to be in an intimate relationship with. In a spiritual way. You know, any time that God, the Holy Spirit, isn't in that place of authority, when he isn't in that place of your heart, then you're committing adultery against him. And that's how he sees it. And that's how he feels about it. And that's the relational part of this. That he loves us deeply and he desires to... to, Look, he says, he uses words that we use in relationships. He's jealously seeking to be at the heart of who we are. He's jealous for that place in your life. He's jealous for you to get off so he can get on the throne of your life. He wants to love you in the way he created you to be loved. But we've got to recognize, we've got to recognize that many times we are sitting there and we're not letting him into the place that he should be in our lives. He gives us the answer. He says here, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will what? He will lift you up. You read that on the surface and you say, wow, that's a downer. But then you realize something, something that's very powerful and very um, important. For Christ to be at the center of your life, you're going to have to die to self. For Christ to take the position, for the Holy Spirit of God to dwell as your Lord, there's going to have to be a funeral. And it's going to have to be the funeral of self. You're going to have to be a living sacrifice. You're going to have to say, I'm taking up my cross and I'm following you today. And I'm giving you full authority of my life. I'm giving you authority over every minute of my life. I'm giving you authority of every ounce of energy that I have. I'm giving you authority of my thoughts and my actions. And so there has to be that place of mourning. There has to be that place where I recognize the cost that was paid. You see, the reason days like today don't matter to a lot of people because there's no emotional connection to all those people that died on beaches, that died in jungles, that lost people that lost mothers and sons and brothers and and lost people that were close and dear to them, people that lost parents, people that have their, their whole world is radically changed because they gave their lives in battle. And we don't grasp that because we're not close to that. And we don't mourn that because we're not that close to that. And that's why as a culture, the further you get away, the less it becomes about what it's supposed to be about. And it's the same thing with our walk with the Lord. It can be grandma's faith. It can be grandpa's faith. It can be my neighbor's faith, my brother's faith. And it means something to them. And it stirs something within them. And it's powerful and meaningful and life-changing. Or it's just something I grew up with. It's something, it's a cultural thing. It's something I know about, but it doesn't know me. And it's not part of me. These days remind us how important it is For us to submit everything to the Lord in reverence to him, knowing that he paid a price that none of us could pay. And he has established a freedom that none of us could have established. 
And he has given us a future that none of us could have given ourselves. But it's that commitment. It's that honesty that I've fallen away. I've, I've lost that commitment. I've lost that energy. I've lost that view of life. And now I'm in love with the world's view of life. And I've, I've faltered and I've fallen down. And, and much of my life I live like the world and I have the same perspective as the world and I have the same approach as the world. And I need to get back. I need to get back over here where I love God and I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And days like today remind us we got to do that. Because when we get to the end and we're past this life, we can't do anything then. There's a movie that came out in the 90s. It was about World War II and there was a, a family where all the sons died except for one. And so they send the troops in to kind of save this one guy named Ryan. And he's a private, right? And so they make a movie called Saving Private Ryan. And the whole movie is about this group of guys, small group of guys, trying to find one guy in this big war so that they can send him home so the mom has a son that's still alive. And, it, you know, I, it's a rough movie, I'll tell you that. But the truth of it at the end has such a powerful statement to us as Christians. Such a powerful statement. I just want to show you the end clip. And I want us to consider our lives and who we are.
As Americans, we have a responsibility to live good lives, to stand up for truth, to stand up for the gospel of Christ. As Christians, we have an even greater responsibility to live lives completely committed to Christ. You know, this morning as we consider these things and I think we can get into life, we can get into the routine, we can get into the rut, we can just get into the day-to-day and forget how amazing life is. How much of a gift this truly is. How every moment is special. Every moment can be valued, even the tough ones. And I think it's important for us as followers of Christ to live that out. Because just like we don't waste the freedom We also don't get the freedom just for us. There's children in your life. There are grandchildren in your life. There are neighbors in your life that watch you. They watch you. And they say, is there freedom there? They want to know. We all want to live lives so people know that Christ is true and real. And that he's going to return. And that he has set us free. And so it's a decision. And James makes it really clear on how to do this. He makes it really clear. He says, resist the devil. And the devil will flee from you. You know, you can get tired. You can get hungry. You can get cranky. And you can invite the devil into your life. we got to work on that. We've got to resist the devil. Because the devil will flee. And then we do what? We don't just sit there. We draw near to God. We draw near to God. One of the ways that helps me to draw near to God is to observe the world around me. What is God doing around me? Look for where God's moving. If it's a temptation, how is God revealing himself in truth in this that I won't fall into this temptation? That's reflecting on what I'm seeing. And then I talk to people. I think it's so important to have godly friends, godly people in your life that you can talk things through with. You can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm at a place where I need help. I want to draw near to God, but I'm giving in. I am, I am not resisting the devil. I'm not resisting this sin. I need some help. I think we all need friends that are close that we can talk to. That's why we start groups. That's why we have these studies. It's for you to make friends with people so you can build those relationships and have someone you can go to. And after you've done that, after you've observed it and you reflected on it, then you move on and and you make a plan. And you say, God, what do you want me to do? Is it this computer? Is it this thing? Is it that person? What do I need to do to be holy, to clean my hands of this sin, to move on in life so I can draw near to you so that my life will live up to the sacrifice that you've had for me? Once you come up with that plan, tell someone about it, have accountability, and then follow through with it. Follow through with it. What is God saying to you? How is he growing you? And remind yourself on a daily basis that there was a sacrifice made for you to give you life. Now, I've shared a tool that I use in my life. I observe, I reflect, I talk to someone, I make a plan, and then I follow through with others. This is something that you and I need to be teaching other people. Because what happens is, in life, the, the devil comes to us, we don't flee from him, and we get a little bit lower. We get a little bit lower. 
I'm going to ask my daughter to come up because this is a good illustration for me. In life, when we don't apply this, when we don't teach this, when we don't show this to others, here's what happens. The devil is in my life. There's sin that I'm tempted by. And then I come close. And then guess what the devil does? Takes two steps back. Now, my daughter's not the devil. But then I see it. I'm tempted again. And I take two steps back again. And then the devil takes two more steps. And then I see it. I'm tempted again. And I take two more steps. And then I'm tempted again. And I take two more steps. And then 10, 15 years have passed. And I look back at where I was. And I look at where I am now. Guess what? Because I followed the... I follow my sinful temptations. I have bigger problems. I have a much bigger mess. I have so many issues now that I didn't have back then because I didn't resist the devil. I didn't resist, resist that sin. Now, let's switch. Let's say this is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God gives me victory in something. And then takes two steps back. Now the Holy Spirit of God says, I'm going to call you to the next level. And he calls me to the next level. And then something else happens, a temptation that he teaches me and grows me in. He takes me two more steps. And then there's another temptation in life. And, and God shows me and reveals to me and reveals to us how to live it out. And then there's two more steps in life. I'm following the leading of my spiritual guidance. The Holy Spirit of God is leading me and guiding me. Now I look back and say, wow, look where I was 10 years ago. Look where I was five years ago. God, every single day, is taking one step backwards, and I'm following him one more step. He's taking another step backwards, and another step backwards, and another step backwards. And he's saying, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And the closer you get to me, guess what? Here's how it works. The closer you get to me, I pull you up. The Lord pulls you up. You know what Satan does? He pulls you down. He pulls you down. And so some of us are growing up. And some of us are dying down. And if we want to die, thank you very much. You're a good help. If we want to value the sacrifices that have been made for us, we need to keep growing up. We need to keep following up. We need to keep taking that next step towards the Lord. We need to keep going and going and going. And every day taking another step with the Lord. And need to recognize, we need to recognize when the enemy has pulled us down. We need to recognize he is pulling me down. I need to stop, resist, and turn to the Lord. This is a practical way for us to apply the teachings of James to our life. And I would say to you, many of you, you have influence that you don't even recognize, that you may not even know. There are so many people in your life that you don't know the addictions that they're struggling with. You don't know the, in, the internal turmoil they have over guilt and shame. And you know what the enemy's doing? Every day he's pulling them a little deeper into that shame, a little p- deeper into that guilt, a little deeper into that addiction. And they need you and I. They need you and I to come and say, look, you were, you were saved, you were set free, you have freedom in Christ so that you can get pulled up out of, your, out of this hole that you're in and you can get pulled up into life. And these things can be your past, and you can get five years away from this and be like, wow, how did I get here? Because every day you took another step towards the Lord. And then when you get to the end of all those steps, you look back and you say, I'm thankful for where God has brought me.
I'm thankful for who I am in him. This is our mission. This is what it means to be gospel-centered and not self-centered. This is what it means to live out the calling that Christ has in our lives. And so now, what is he saying to you? God always speaks to us. We just need to listen. As we sing the final song this morning, let's reflect. Let's reflect on what God is saying to us. And if you need prayer, if, you, if you're here and you say, you know, I need to know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I know that I'm not saved and I want to be saved. Well, this morning, please come forward and we'll pray with you. We'll encourage you and we will walk alongside you in your walk with the Lord. If you have a burden this morning, if I say that you have influence and there is someone that comes to your mind and you are burdened by that, we'd love to pray with you. We can't do this alone. We need each other. So as we sing the final song, if you feel called by the Lord to come forward and pray with one of us, we'd love for you to do that. Because we're not, this is a family. This is something we're doing together. This is not just an organization that gathers to talk about things. This is a family that has a purpose and has a meaning in everything we do. And so we want to encourage you in that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the hope that you give us. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the freedom that you've set us free so that we can be pulled up. And um, Lord, we know that in many times we are being pulled down. Lord, help us to resist and to flee and to go closer to you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us directly right now. We all have different things going on.